On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to talk about one of those topics that if you want to get into a debate with someone, if you want to get into a heated discussion with someone, here it is. Is addiction a disability? If you're an alcoholic, is that a disability or is that something that came from a series of bad choices that you're now dealing with? It's not an unsympathetic view. It's simply a question. Is a disability, can a disability be something that you brought about yourself. Well, we're going to be talking about it from a work perspective. Great piece in the spec has led to this discussion. If you're the boss of a company and you have an employee who is an addict who is being affected at work by their addiction, can you fire them? You might be surprised by the answer. And then Don Robertson, as he does every time, once a week on the podcast, he's going to join us. We've got lots to talk about. Mostly hammering on preseason sports and how the owners are just gouging people. Time for the owners to be nicer. You'll understand what we're talking about as soon as you listen. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. My next guest wrote a piece in the spec this weekend that got lots of people talking because it is one of those topics, if you want to start an argument, if you want to start a debate with someone, this is one of the good topics to do that with. Is addiction a disability? Is addiction a disability? You will have strong arguments on both sides. In fact, I brought this up to a few people today. Strong arguments on both sides. One is that it's something you can't control and therefore it's a, dis- it's a mental or it's an emotional disability, psychological disability. Others will say, no, you chose this. Maybe not to be addicted, but you chose to get yourself down the path towards this. Therefore... Come on. Well, the piece that was written was called, the headline was, Addiction is a Disability Like Any Other. To summarize what he said, from a legal position, if you're an employer, you have to treat an addict who's having issues at work the same way you would treat someone who has a disability in a wheelchair or something like that. Uh, Is it the same? Is it the same? Well, I want to bring in Ed Canning, who is a lawyer in town. Now, by, by the way, I said that song would mean something. Ed is a respectable well-spoken, excellent lawyer here in town, writes for The Spectator as well, but we've caught him at drama practice at, at today because, Ed, explain yourself, Ed, because this I couldn't believe it when I heard this. This is outstanding. Where are you today? Well, today I'm going to be at rehearsal at Hamilton Theatre, Inc. Uh, uh, we're getting ready to mount uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and uh, I get to, I'm Dr. Scott, the guy in the wheelchair, um, and uh, I get to sing uh, Eddie's Teddy, you know. And uh, <laughs> That's um, outstanding. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. I'm sure. Well, I'm not even going to ask if you're in costume right now, but that's. Uh, I will leave that no, for everyone's no, imagination. No, no, not yet, but for the price of a t- ticket, you can see me in fishnet stockings. <laughs> I'm guessing everyone in your office will be there for that oh, with cameras. It appears. What's that? A few are interested. I bet. I bet. Uh, let's go back to this uh, debate because I, I, you've heard this debate before, right? I mean, even before you get to the legal context, you've heard this debate that people have had before about whether or not addiction should be considered a disability. Yeah, and we've got, we've got, we've all got so much baggage around it. Like baggage, maybe that's not the right word, but, but, but prejudices and thoughts that that we've grown up with, hearing what our parents said about friends or acquaintances that drank too much and the words they used and. We all bring a lot to that table, to that discussion, don't we? Well, you described it as, uh, for better terms, uh, sort of a lingering offshoot of, uh, your words were Victorian prudery, that this is something that is, it's an old school way of thinking to say that it's not a disability. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that, you know, we all choose the first drink, 
and we all choose the 50th strength. But somewhere down the line, there's some of us, and, you know, I don't think the science has really figured it out yet, and I'm not going to pretend to be an, addic- an addiction expert, but, but for some of us, there becomes something more than that that's going on, that, that, it, that it, uh, it becomes something we can't let go of or control. And, uh, you know, I think it's arguably, a, a, I think it's a disability. I, I really do think it is. Now, it's one that the law recognizes that you have. The law doesn't, to be fair, the law doesn't treat it as quite the same as, you know, I'm, I'm a, um, you know I've got a, uh, a leg that doesn't work. I mean, there is some concept of of uh, the person who's suffering from the disability, the addiction, having to take some control. It's not that employers have to put up with, you know, incredibly uh, huge absences indefinitely. The law doesn't say that. Well, you know? let's let's back up for one second just to clear. The law has determined, especially in civil law, the law has determined it has decided that that addiction can be considered a disability, though. Yes, it definitely is recognized solidly as a disability under uh, Canadian law, Ontario law. Um, you can go on uh, ODSP for that for addiction issues, which is uh, confusing in one sense, only in in the part that. If I went to criminal court, if I was up on a criminal charge and I went into court and said, look, I can't be held responsible for my behavior, for the action I did because I was drunk, because I'm an addict, which is therefore a disability, which you therefore can't hold against me. It's my understanding a court would not allow you to be exonerated for that reason. So criminal courts have taken a different view from civil courts. That's true. Absolutely. How do two different courts systems within the same law, within the same province, within the same country, see the same thing differently? Well, um, you know, uh, there's an old saying, and I, I don't know who it was, I think it was a Dickens quote, that you don't go to a lawyer for justice, you go to a lawyer for the law. They're not always the same thing. Um, I mean, I, I don't have a good good way to explain that, that dichotomy, and I understand for how, for how many people how it could be an dichotomy, but I think it's one thing to tolerate somebody driving drunk or not tolerate somebody driving drunk, uh, regardless of the reasons for it, and and another thing to, you know, allow a person off for two months to get some uh, addiction treatment and try to get their stuff together. Uh, I think they can be very different contexts. Because, I mean, the, the, you know, assuming that we've got an employee who's not endangering other people, and, you know, as I wrote in the article, the answer is, you know, people, yes, do people ever show up under the influence? Yes, they do. But really, the vast majority of these cases are about absences and no-shows. That's really what most of them are about. And just before we get into, and we're going to take a quick break and then come back and talk about this, but before we dive into the work side of this, because I think it's a really interesting thing. Uh, again, we're not talking in this case about people operating heavy machinery or something where you could have someone get killed if they were doing this. Yeah, no, I mean, if somebody was caught doing that... Um, you have they, cause. Yeah, well, you, 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 you might have to give them a second chance, but it would be a really quick second chance, no, no third chances whatsoever. I mean... If somebody was working for you for 20 years and they were a great forklift driver and they were a loyal employee and they were all a good safety record and, you know, something arose and they, 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 they did something dangerous to the forklift, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you never would have to give them a second chance, but I doubt any, any adjudicator in the Human Rights Tribunal would say that you'd have to give them a third. And, and it would only be after they'd proven that they sought treatment and, you know, that to the extent they could that they were dry and, and, and so on. 
You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're talking about addiction, disability, workplace. Uh, it starts from a piece that was in The Spectator on the weekend with the headline, Addiction is a disability like any other. Some of you will agree. Some of you will disagree. The law will say yes. The law will say it is a disability. Again, whether you agree or disagree, uh, the author of that piece is local lawyer Ed Canning, who writes in The Spectator regularly on employment issues. He's with us now. So, Ed, where this, where your piece really becomes so interesting is the idea now of work. So if I own a company and I have an employee that I hired and he's been with me or she's been with me for a while now and just doesn't start showing up for work or is late or whatever as a result of addiction, I can, if I understand what you wrote, I can confront them about it. And if they deny that it's an addiction, I can fire them. But if they say they have an addiction, it therefore becomes a disability as far as the law is concerned, and I must then have to accommodate them. Is that correct? Yeah, that's basically it. So anyone who is caught missing work or whatever should immediately say they have an addiction unless they want to get fired. Well... Or do you have to prove it somehow? Well, no, that, I mean, I mean, if, I hear what you're saying, but at the end of the day, um, the reality is people don't do that. No. Well, I'm sure they don't. <laughs> I'm sure they wouldn't even think of it if that wasn't the you cause. Uh, maybe. Uh, and, and I think that, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, if, if they say, yes, I've got a disability, then the employer, the employer knows what they're doing is going to say, okay, well, now we're going to talk about time off. We're going to talk about the fact that you can't keep up these absences and not showing up. Um, so I'm going to give you time off to go and get treatment uh, or do what you need to do. I'll give you what support I can within reason. Um, but this has to improve. Um, and so it's not like the, the employer has no remedies. Um, you know, and I guess theoretically the employee who is on the ball, who's read Ed Canning's article, could say, yeah, I have a disability, I have an addiction issue. And they might uh, avoid... Uh, the, uh, the the immediate termination um, if the employer is thinking about what they're doing. But at the end of the day, they're still going to have to improve their attendance and, and not do a bunch of no-shows. Uh, so, I mean, in a way, all's well that ends well, whether or not they lie about it or not. Do you have to, if you were to say that you have an addiction, do you have to somehow prove that or is it only by your word? Well, no, I, I really don't think it's something that's capable of proof. So, um, no, it's not, it's not a matter of proving it. Would it be different, and you said before the break, and I'm sure you're correct, that most, more often than not, we're not talking about cases where someone is showing up to work intoxicated. Does it change things if that was the case? I, it really does. And even the scenario we're talking about before the break, I mean, um, you know, occupational safety comes first. So, you know, it may be that person who did something really unsafe who was clearly under the influence, and that's not always easy to prove. Um, uh you know, the accommodation might mean, okay, well, you're now not going to be on the forklift. You're going to be in the warehouse as a picker, and that pays $2 less an hour, and that's what you get. So that may be the accommodation, right, so that you're not a danger to others. Um, because I was reading something else about this, because after I read your piece, as I say, I was fascinated by this because it never dawned on me that an employer wouldn't have immediate recourse. I sort of always assumed they would. Uh, and then I got reading this other thing. And one of the things that was pointed out was traditionally or typically the person who has an addiction 
is not going to perform generally as well. You're not going to do as good a job. Now, I know that's a generalized statement for sure. There are probably people who can do just as good a job and you would never, ever even know that they have this problem. But potentially, this is costing the employer money. Yeah, but you have to hold the, that employee to the same standard as everyone else. And that's that's something else I wrote about in the article. I mean, uh, part of our, you know, as I've labeled it, Victorian plenary means that, that you know, our judgment causes us to, to, to judge them more harshly. And there was, as I mentioned, two cases where people were terminated because they, you know, signed last chance agreements and then their 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 uh, attendance had fallen be- below the, the plant average. Well, but the pe- the guy who's at the bottom of the plant average still has his job, but because he's not an alcoholic. So Good point. It Good point. discriminatory. Good point for sure. Uh, what about the idea, are, are, are employers, when you've dealt with people, are employers typically surprised when they find out that they do have to give, that it's a much longer process when dealing with someone who maybe shows up who's an addict, or, or are they expecting this? You know what, 15, 20 years ago, surprise. Now, no, they already know. As soon as somebody says, says yes, I'm an alcoholic, um, most employers will give me the call. I only have 15 seconds, but as an employer, if you're doing job interviews, are you permitted to ask someone if they have an addiction before you hire them? No, because you're asking about a disability. You cannot ask that question or you're in trouble right from day one. But can you, uh, could you get rid of them within a, like a six months probationary period or something if they, if you couldn't ask that question, but then they show up and have these or, or immediately the minute you've hired them, are you facing this issue? Well, I think that the law is that if you knew or ought to have known that it was an addiction issue, you you can't you can't you can't uh, let them go if they're, whether they're in probation or not. Um, but if it's just like a brand new employee who starts not showing up, um, you're not really going to get in trouble for letting them go for not showing up at all during their probationary period. It is a fascinating piece. Go, uh, it's on the spec dot com. People can look it up. Uh, the writer is Ed Canning. Appreciate you taking some time out of the Rocky Horror Picture Show rehearsal today for us. Thanks for doing this. All right. Have a great day. I I have never interviewed a lawyer in the middle of a Rocky Horror Picture Show audition or or rehearsal before, so there's always a first, but uh, go read it. It's a great piece. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Don Robertson, owner-operator of the Dundas Real McCoys of ComChoice Realty of various and sundry other things around the greater Hamilton area. Thanks for coming in. You're welcome. Glad to be here. After spreading mulch. Spreading mulch and getting soaked. It poured rain oh, it? for about ten minutes. Of course, I was on my track. I thought that I thought you spreading mulch was a great metaphor for what you do here. Similar, very similar. <laughs> it wasn't my tractor, but my neighbor was kind enough to give me his lawn tractor. That helps. I got soaked. It was. Uh, but it's I didn't all, know it rained. It's all done. It was, and it was a double rainbow. You're supposed to make a wish when you see those. I was just happy it quit raining. I just remember the YouTube video of the uh, the real stoner in Hawaii or wherever he was who saw the double rainbow. Do you ever see the double rainbow YouTube video? No. <laughs> this guy, maybe during the next break I'll get Ben to find the double rainbow guy. Ben, can you look up the double rainbow guy on YouTube? You'll you'll know it as soon as you find it. He uh, he he was a YouTube sensation for a while back. We'll play him. You'll um you, uh, I guarantee you could not have possibly been as excited about the double rainbow as he was. <laughs> I don't aspire to be a, a YouTube star either. So, well, that's probably for the best. Good, yeah, right. Because I'm trying to think of what we would, what you or I would do to be on a on YouTube. Um, neither of us are going to get there by taking off our clothes. Um, neither of us are going to get there I by might. singing. 
It wouldn't be for popularity. It would be like, holy crap. Anyways, I think my YouTube uh, exciting days are behind me. Let me uh, read you some names. I'm just going to give you last names. See if you can figure out the, who or what the names are that I'm reading, all right? Great. I love games like this. Patan, Shore, Augustino, Korshkov, Godet, Reed, Archibald, Brooks, Bracco, Engvall, Aliniak, Auberg, Harper, Hole, Rubens, Lilligren, Gravel, Schmaltz, Hutchinson. That's all? That's all you got? That's all I got. I have no idea. That is the lineup for the Maple Leafs tonight in their preseason game against Montreal. Oh, I did read that on Twitter. I should have paid more attention. It well, is. Spets is playing. Nope. Huh? No, they, this is really, uh, there is nobody that will make the Leafs. It doesn't well, the Marlies like. are playing the Habs tonight. Maybe the Marlies. The Marlies and probably a few of their ECHL team thrown in as well. Well, they're mandated to have so many NHL guys with so many games so that the fans don't get hosed. Well, I'm looking here and I can see that Hutchinson probably has the former, you know, the goalie who used to play with yep. Winnipeg. He's probably got a couple hundred NHL games, maybe. And Ben Harper from Burlington, he's got a hundred games, maybe under his belt. And Patan, Nick Patan, he's going to have a few. Uh, Tyler Goodet from Hamilton or Goday, uh, he's got 40 or 50, probably, maybe a little bit more than that. And I don't know where the other games are coming from. But, you know, Don, the reason I mention this is not just to point out how ridiculous this is. You've got this situation. You've got, remember when the uh, NFL came to Winnipeg a month or so ago, just before the season, and Green Bay and Oakland pretty much played none of their regulars. They played on a 45-yard field. Yeah, they played on a shortened field, and they played none of the guys that you would have ever heard of before. Why in the world do fans pay money to go to an exhibition game in any sport. The only one maybe that I can see is spring training, but you're only going because it's beautiful weather in Florida in the middle of winter here. Yeah, and it's 12 bucks. And it's 12 bucks. That, that, okay, that one I, sure. And I've done that. I'm sure. sure you have too. I haven't. I've never been to spring training. Oh, really? Never. It's on well, the list. I was in Dunedin when the new stadium opened, which was probably 30 years ago, but it's, um, I, I think a lot of the NHL teams mandate their season ticket holders to go. I think it's part of the package. Um, but when you see half-empty arenas, then you realize that they don't have the, that many season ticket holders. But, yeah, and, I mean, think of, okay, so the Leafs and the Canadians, sure, you'll get you'll get lots of people there because, again, even the season ticket holders don't want to go. We'll give it to somebody and they'll go because they can't get in. Yeah. But in Florida or Carolina or pick your other spots, yep. well, who in the world would pay money for this? Well, they haven't got a lot of season ticket holders, right? So they're not mandated to go. And you're right. Then they give them away. You give them to your teenage kids or you know, your buddy's kids or something. Here, go to a game. But look at who they're watching tonight. It's not like the thrill of watching the hab, real Habs and Leafs. The only thing these guys have in common is the uniforms. I mean, there's literally... Maybe, maybe two guys, maybe three, I would think, that might possibly be in the mix to be on the Leafs when the season starts. It, it will be interesting to to see what numbers they're wearing. I mean, they got to be Can wearing you wear four, triple digits. They got to wear forty six and. Can you have a hundred and two? Ninety eight. I don't think anybody's wearing ninety nine anymore. 
I would think that would be a very bad. There's a guy in the uh, retired. There's a guy in the in the Continental Hockey Association whose last name is Gretzky, who wears 99. Really, he's not good. The, yeah. the NHL retired 99 they league did. wide. They did, but it's uh, yeah. You got you got to have some uh, some giant sized cojones to be named Gretzky and wear 99 anywhere in the world in the hockey world. But now I'm just looking at this and I think who who would possibly buy a ticket for this? Who would even go to the rink to watch this? Yeah, I don't know. I just and, and the the one in Winnipeg with the with the NFL game like that to me, the NFL is the worst. The NFL is the worst preseason of all of them, and the CFL is no better. Well, the NFL is worse because they got more players. I mean, they have an army of guys trying out. That's so, true. So the regulars don't get hurt. But football. The guys don't want to get themselves beaten up before the season starts. So it's generally not as hard hitting. It's not guys you know. It's just, it, it's, it's, it's ugly football. I just, I, this may be, Don, I mean, I, I really believe that sports owners, clearly with the money they make, they are bright people. They know how to work their way around a bank statement. They can find ways to squeeze, to separate people from their money. Preseason may be the greatest scam owners ever created. No playoffs, sorry. Really? Well, the players don't get paid in the playoffs. But they don't get paid in the preseason, do they? No, but they, at least the playoffs are good hockey. That's what I mean. Yeah. So you've convinced people in the playoffs, yeah, your players aren't getting any money, but you, you not, yeah, and I guess you could be say that because the fans will pay whatever. Yep. But in the preseason, to come out and watch a glorified game of shinny with people you've never heard of before. I mean, if you got an autograph from one of these players, and then you went home and you told your friends, oh, I got an autograph from Engvall. Bill Engvall, the comedian? No, 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 some other Engvall. Well, you've heard me say this a thousand times. When you're ever wondering why they do it, just go back to the money. Of course. And it's a cash grab, right? And... They can get it, and they do. Now, I would bet you, and I don't know the Habs deal as well as I do the Leafs situation, but I think it would be fair to suggest that Babcock and his coaching staff and Dubas had the depth chart done prior to training camp. For the most part. And said, you know, there's these two guys, if somebody's better at it than they are, we may start the year with them, but there would be absolutely no more than three positions open and 60 guys at camp. Agreed. So there's 40 guys, so there's 37 guys that have about as much chance of playing for the Leafs this year as you do. Yep. No, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And you look at this, you look at this and you say, geez, I, now maybe if you're, if you're a Habs fan, the game is in Montreal tonight, if you're a Habs fan, maybe you don't care who's playing for the Leafs. I bet. I bet the Molson Center's full. It looks like they've got a very good crowd. It's on the TV right in front of us. It looks pretty full. Yeah. And I haven't. I've been talking to you, so I really haven't been watching even a moment of it. I don't know. Maybe Montreal has their starting lineup for the season. Maybe they're playing all their stars. Max Domi's playing. And Le- so maybe on Leafs are winning twelve one. Yeah. <laughs> and and maybe when they play either was it tomorrow or the next night back in Toronto, Toronto will probably have its. A lineup. A lineup, and Montreal may come in with its yeah. Laval Rocket limp in. Its former Hamilton. Well, you got to remember. Group. I mean, these guys. I mean, we can we can make suggestions that we think the lineups are basically set before it starts. But you know, uh, this has probably the exhibition season has as much to do with 
who's going to play for the Marlies, and who looks like they can come up and help us if need be. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and they've got to send some guys to the Growlers in Newfoundland, the ECHL team, and some of the guys, uh, Bobby Hall Jr. was at Toronto Maple Leaf uh, training camp in 1986, 85. And Bill Schufelt and I went down and uh, uh, met him in the ho- his hotel afterwards when he walked through the lobby and figured he probably wasn't going to make the leaps. Why didn't he play with his brother Blake in Rockton? And he laughed and he said, well, I'll let you know. Here's my number. So... Two days later, he got cut, and three days later, he was uh, rocked and real McCoy. Was that the year you guys won the no, Allen Cup? Uh, you'd been a Mott's Clamato. No, they played mm. the year before. Blake played the year we won the Allen Cup. So, you know, they had Bobby Hull Jr. there, and he didn't even get sent to the American League. Just he got ended cut. up playing senior. So they were sure filling out the rosters with guys so they could scrimmage back then. So You know who really, this would really stink for, though, this game tonight? If you if you were a Leaf fan that went to Montreal, bought tickets months ago, and bo- drove to Montreal for the big game against the Habs, the big preseason tilt, and then you see the starting lineup, and you who? I've never. I would. I could literally run over one of these guys in my car and not know who he was. That he was a member of the Leafs. Well, Montreal do have the best hot dogs in hockey. I've, the, I've been. Yeah, they have the steamers. So that that might be the highlight of the trip, though. How many times have you been to a Montreal game? Uh, twice when we were doing the Bulldogs uh, deal. We put that ownership group together, and Montreal moved their farm team here, and Ron Foxcroft and um, Chester Waxman and uh, some of the local guys uh, bought it, Tony Battaglia. So I went down there to negotiate the deal once was during a playoff game, and they're pretty smooth. You sit in their boardroom. You know, and they've got pictures of Rocket Richard with the the torch bringing it mm-hmm. down to the new stadium. It's if you're a Habs fan, it was wonderful. I'm not a Habs fan, so it did nothing for me. I I went to one game at the Forum. It was the very last Leaf game ever. My buddy and I drove to Montreal for the last Leaf game. We bought standing room tickets and learned something once we arrived. I assumed that they sold as many standing room tickets as there were spots around the rail. They sell as many standing room tickets as people want to buy them. As they can sell. <laughs> when the lineups <laughs> when the lineup's gone, they don't sell anymore. And so we managed to get into the second row of standing room. There were at least five layers behind us. I felt bad for the person standing behind me because they couldn't see a thing over my head. And you can't go anywhere to pee. Because as soon as you leave, you're you're you lose done. Your spot. And so the people right in front of us who got to lean on the rail, which is the... That's premium. That's the premium. Uh, there was a, a girl and her boyfriend, and I, I think it was her boyfriend, and they were leaning on the rail, and they spotted two seats that were open down, way down there. So they left their spot, and they went to get their seats, take the seats. And so my buddy and I moved up, and we got the rail position, and now you don't move. And I mean, if you had to pee, as I say, you're, you will go into full bladder distension before you will leave your spot. Anyway, the people with the tickets came and bumped those two out of their seat. They proceeded to come back. Foolish. Demand their spot back. And we were like, um, no, sorry, no, no. <laughs> they wanted to fight. They had a few brews already, and they wanted to go. And I'm like, I am not coming all the way to Montreal to have a fist fight. With a woman in the forum. <laughs> Just not my style. And really don't want to spend the night in a Montreal jail, quite honestly. And I'm I've, presuming you would have won. 
uh, presumably I'd won, and I've, I haven't had a fist fight since grade five, and it didn't go terribly well. <laughs> I, I was, was in the forum once in 1993 when Montreal hosted the draft, the old Colonial Hockey League. We had our league meetings wherever the NHL draft was. It was a good, good opportunity to network and so on. Went to the Saturday morning draft, sat up in the bleachers because that was fine. They were just wooden. They weren't even seats. They were wooden benches. And I sat with Peter Horachuk, who ended up who was coaching in Stony uh, Creek guy. Yeah, Stony Creek guy was coaching in St. Thomas or yeah, St. Thomas then. Then on to Flint, then on to the Toronto Maple Leafs. That and was a rough st- rough stretch. Yeah, I I stay in touch with Peter. He's still not coaching. I'm not sure he's out of rehab yet. That was an awful thing. That's cruel and unusual punishment. That was uh, p- for people who don't remember. Peter Horachuk came in. Great guy, too, by the right way. Right before, was he the last guy before Babcock? Was Babcock hired after him, but it was in the absolute darkest days since Harold Ballard. And I probably. forget who they fired, and then they propped poor Peter Yeah, up. who was it they fired? Anyway, and the players were not interested. They were getting rid of guys. Yeah. And Horacek gets his dream job of coaching the Maple Leafs, and it was miserable. They won like four games. He had no hammer. He couldn't threaten anybody. No. no. Like they're going, you're not coming back. I'm not even coming back. I don't care. It was cruel and unusual punishment. It was for, awful. For a good guy. It was, yeah, he was a good guy. He is a good guy. He's not gone. He's, uh, anyway, I'm, uh, cruel and unusual punishment for those in Montreal tonight as well. Yeah. The preseason games, here's, we got to go to a break. I would love it. It'll never happen. Because of what you said, it's all about the money. I would love it if owners of professional sports teams, knowing that they are absolutely gouging people all year round, the cost of beer at the station, at the stadiums, the cost of tickets, the cost of merchandise, all that kind of, they know they're killing you when you go to follow these teams. I would love it if they would make, there's 20,000 seats in Montreal, 5,000 seats for our preseason games are going to go to, if you are under 12, you can buy a ticket for five bucks. One of the owners of the Montreal Canadiens would probably disagree. He's probably going to take some of the preseason money and help us build a rink in Hamilton. Well. There's always investments they can make with the money, right? I, I, I understand, but. And if you invest it in your scouting staff, right, and you invest it in your farm team, um, is it not a good investment to the team? I mean, every owner doesn't line his pocket. Every team in the NHL. But you want to know what rich. else is a great investment, though, Don? Is having young people who s- go to a game and become diehard fans because yeah. they've now seen it. You've in, you're investing in your future fan base, and I'm not talking about it as I say for the regular season. That's we know what that is. But I think they do that, Scott, when they have open practices and and they'll have a red and white game in Montreal, free for kids and. <sighs> I get what you're saying, but I'm I'm saying I think they they do that, and I think that's what they believe their contribution is. Uh, look, I'm not saying they don't make a contribution. I'm not saying that, and I'm not saying it's, I'm not pointing to the Montreal Canadiens. I'm talking no, about no, every no, team, every team across pro sports should do something like this because you are building your base for the future. And I, I had an interesting conversation with my son the other day. <clears throat> We're talking about the Leafs, and it hadn't even really dawned on me that he. We were saying, I, I said, I may have a line on a pair of tickets sometime this year, that I can get a pair that would be not the tickets that are going to cost us to have to not mortgage the house to get them. 
carve out my liver and sell it onto the black market. And he made the comment that he's never been to a Leaf game. Really? And it stunned me when it hit me like that because as a kid, my dad used to take me every year. Now, the difference is my dad had a contact who he was able to get a ticket from, get tickets from, a pair of tickets. And the tickets were like really good seats were 35 or $40, like really good seats. Gold seats were 35 or 40 bucks. Now that would be, what do you pay for a platinum? 800, 700, yeah. 600? I mean, you get a pair of those and you go for dinner and you pay for parking and it's a $1,500 night. I don't know what people think at home radio pays, but it's not that. It doesn't put me in that echelon. I don't have that kind of money to do that. And most people don't. So I'm looking at him and most I'm saying- Most people can't even get them, even if they do have the door that's to pay the right. for them. That's right. So I'm thinking, you know, it's- it, it, it saddens me in a way that he's never even been to a game. And so that, that's my point is even if it was a preseason game, throw some tickets out there, not for free, but just really affordable for some, but. So and, you take him to a preseason game. Don't you love your son? Why would you take him to a preseason game with this, with these guys? I said under 12. <laughs> if you're under 12, yep. it wouldn't matter who's playing in the game. Oh, that's right. As long as they're wearing the uniforms and you're in the rink and you've got the full game day experience. If they're so little, they fall asleep halfway through the second, they were there. My son they're fell not asleep. drinking beer either. My son fell asleep in the middle of a Trans-Siberian Orchestra concert. It was a thousand decibels. There was pyrotechnics he, going off. He could fall asleep anywhere. I don't think he'd fall asleep in a Leaf game, but when he was 12, <laughs> he, and he was very young then. But no, if you are under 12, it doesn't matter. You don't really care. You just want to have the experience of being there and you, those kids get that. I would just, and for NFL, look at the NFL stadium for preseason games. There are, in a lot of those cases, there's 40,000 empty seats. Yeah. If you are under 12, you're in for free. Yeah, and we'll even, you can even bring a parent and you can come in for free if you bring a 12-year-old or under. Well, you can't send a 12-year-old. Well, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. you can, if you're a parent and you bring someone who's under 12, you're in for free. When I was 12, I think I, I didn't tell you this story. We, I was with uh, Toros, which was a church group in Linden. Um, 17 of us went to Maple Leaf Gardens, sat in the grays, it was, which was like sitting on top of the roof. Mm-hmm. With with two people watching us. Can you imagine that? 17 kids. People don't let their kids go to the store now. Only 16 came home. One was lost forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. With different times. Yeah. Nobody minded. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Whoa, that's a full rainbow. All the way. Double rainbow. Oh, my God. It's a double rainbow all the way. Whoa. Whoa. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, t- oh my God. Woo. Oh, wow. Oh my God. Look at that. It's starting to even look like a triple rainbow. <laughs> was that what you sounded like? That you saw was the not what I rainbow. was doing. I just went, up and went holy crap, that's kind of cool. <laughs> that was, I didn't get off the tractor and start bowing and rolling and I'm moaning just, and groaning. And, as that was going on, I was thinking, someone who just tuned in is thinking, what the heck? <laughs> what? The Scott Radley show has become like a, they're sampling various pot, pot samples here. Yeah, no, that is. more uh, like. He was watching porn than well, a double rainbow. If you watch the YouTube video, he is 
he is very excited about his double rainbow. Don saw a double, in the studio with Don Robertson, Don, Don saw a double rainbow earlier today. That was a guy who I think was in Hawaii and saw a double rainbow. And as Ben says, it goes on for three and a half minutes. I could have kept playing it with just that. And it gets more and more excited. <laughs> it's like, if you could be that excited, I actually want that level of either innocence or complete stoneness. Well, the problem is. <laughs> that you can feel that good about a rainbow. You, you you want to know what else he's got going on in his, in his oh, life if oh. it's that big a deal. Um, I just carried on spreading mulch. <laughs> he, the, I have a feeling that it's not what's going on in his life. I think it's what's going on in his system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I have a feeling there was some very high quality herb <laughs> involved in his happiness. Yeah. I'd only had a bottle of water. So. And, uh, and if it wasn't right then, I think perhaps... Uh, Several trillion brain cells had already been affected by the herb. Anyway, you can go watch that on uh, on YouTube when you get home if you're uh, if you're looking for something to tie up your evening with the double rainbow. I'm dude. probably good. You're probably good. You mentioned coming into the station today when you were just coming in the door. You asked a question, and I and you said, "What was the deal with First Ontario Centre on the weekend?" And for those who don't know, First Ontario, the Hamilton Bulldogs opened their season on Saturday night. And I thought that, you know, with all the discussion that's been going on around the state, on the arena, if you listen to Bill Kelly, Bill Kelly had a terrific discussion this morning about the arena situation. You go to 900chml.com, go to shows, go to Bill Kelly show, listen to that one. It was a terrific discussion about the state, about the arena. I thought, Don, that when they opened the arena for the first time, they had over 5,000 people there for the game. You make sure that this thing is at its absolute best because you don't want to make the case that this place is not working. They had all three main floor escalators were broken. It just, it was, I had, I heard so many people saying, this is ridiculous. How, how, I don't even know where to go with this one because it just, it seems like this is making the case that millions of dollars have to be spent on this thing. Or we just get rid of it altogether. Well, um, you can put what I know about escalators in a thimble other than the fact they They're take, representative of the bigger thing is what I'm saying. They, they take you up and down. But it does speak to maintenance. I don't know if the capital expenditures, which I believe they are, are the city's responsibility. And I'm not, I don't make excuses for anybody, but your point's well taken. If you're going to have it fixed, have it fixed before the Bulldogs home opener. My issue with it is that you have been, you have been saying for a while now that Michael Anlauer, who's the owner of the Bulldogs, that we appreciate Michael Anlauer, that he's kept the the lights on in the arena for years now when nobody else was going to bring a team here. When he's offered to put millions, tens of millions of dollars potentially into a new rink. This just seemed disrespectful, truly. It, it seemed that you're saying all these things, but they are not really meaningful. Well, I think it hurts the argument for um, the people that say, you know, we can continue to use First Ontario Place. It's a good venue. And not put any money into it. It's fine. Right? I mean, you can't, that kind of uh, buggers that argument up. Um, and, and I agree. And I mean, it's, I don't know when the last time the city had the owner of a sports team that said, 
we need a facility. Uh, I Mike Landelar believes they need a facility. I I believe that First Ontario Place is not suitable for junior hockey, uh, for it to perform at its finest in um, atmosphere and revenue generating and everything else. Um, but I don't know when the last time we had an owner says, I'll match a dollar for a dollar to build it at that level. Like the Air Canada Centre was built with private funds. The Air Canada Centre is a different kettle of fish than what we're talking about here. Um, and I think it's, you know, un- unless I'm wrong, and we know how often that happens, very seldom, um, the Ticats didn't, uh, didn't contribute to the capital costs of the stadium. And they have a new stadium. And now we have a guy that will produce it. So anyway, your argument's well taken that if you're going to spend some money and, 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 and try and, and, and make everybody believe that First Ontario Place can work or isn't that bad, if you're going to fix the escalators, do it before the home opener. I mean, it kind of hurts your argument when what you've got isn't working. And, not, and, and not, it's not only not working. When you walk in the front door and give your ticket and go into the rink, the first thing staring at you is two out-of-order signs. Big yellow signs on the two escalators right in front of you as you come in the door. Here's the other thing, though. And last week, was it last week? Recently, anyway, whenever it was. There was the discussion going on at City Council about this very thing, about the stadium, about the arena. I keep calling it the stadium. Force of habit, Freudian slip. Um, but about the arena... And about how much Ann Lauer says he's going to put in and all the rest of the stuff. Now, back when the story first started, Ann Lauer was talking about a, an arena of six or 7,000 that was probably going to cost $60 million, give or take. That's what he estimated. And that's when he said he would match dollar for dollar to what the city put in. So I'm still, I don't have, I don't have any inside information on this, but I'm still assuming that unless he's really changed his mind, we're still talking about something in the neighborhood of $30 million. That would be my guess, because that was, if my math was remotely correct, that was roughly what it was going to be before. So if you've got an owner, a businessman, a developer in this city that says, I want to spend $30 million, maybe, to be involved with the city on a project, how does the city seem to look like The in, they're talking about disinviting him because he's not coming forward with all of his numbers right away. Like, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you should be begging developers to walk into your city and say, I've got tens of millions I want to partner with you on projects with. And here we've got men, number of members of city council who's making it look like he's somehow putting them out or making, causing them a hardship. Like if he doesn't want to come forward with all this information right away, we don't make other people negotiate in public. I I just, I don't understand the thought process behind this thing is what I'm getting at. I don't understand how you have someone who wants to spend money in the city and it seems as though he's getting less than respectful treatment some of the time. Well, I think, um, I don't think it has to be debated at a city council meeting. I mean, but I think you can certainly have private meetings. And, of course. And, uh, and it should. F- find out what's going on. I think that uh, what Mr. Andelard did was because of the I, – I, he's a businessman. And municipalities and governments move at a different pace oftentimes than businessmen do. Like if I'm making a decision uh, on something at Comp Choice Realty, 
I generally look at the information and make the decision. If Michael's deciding he's going to buy a bunch of trucks, he analyzes it, gets the information in front of him, makes a decision. I think what, uh, uh, what he did is he got proactive and said, I'm going to source out to see if there's any other alternatives. I don't know if he went to Cadillac Fairview or Cadillac Fairview went to him. Cadillac Fairview are trying to generate people to go to their malls and everything else. They're trying to get creative. They're talking about building condos at them. They're trying, you know, they're, so I don't know who went to who. But if Cadillac Fairview um, said the guy that owns the OHL team in Hamilton is prepared to put up, use your number, $30 million, we're going to talk to him. This kind of makes sense to us. I'm not arguing because I don't, I haven't seen all the details and the number might not be $30 million. I'm not arguing that you have to follow the Michael Andlauer plan because I haven't seen the Michael Andlauer plan. I don't know what it is exactly, but I find it just stunning that not every member of council is throwing a red carpet down saying, please, we are thrilled that you've supported the city for this long. We're thrilled that you want to spend money in the city and help us with a problem that we have. Please come to council. We want to, but we're hearing people say, I want to grill him. And we're hearing, we got to disinvite him because of this and that. It's like, how, how, how do other developers and rich guys who we want to come to the city and work here, what do they think when they see the way he, in some corners, is being treated? Yeah, I don't know how many, uh, and I think there are a few, I kind of follow it fairly closely, public-private partnerships, um, municipalities, Hamilton in this case, have where somebody's prepared to match you dollar for dollar, arguably for a facility that, that will certainly enhance his program of running the Hamilton Bulldogs. There's no question about that. Um, but you could argue that the city could use a more normal-sized arena if even even if uh, and i don't <laughs> i don't even think you have to abandon the idea of an nhl team but an nhl team in all probability is going to want a new building you can argue that the architects can tell you you can put 100 suites in and this and you can argue that but i think anybody that's going to spend half a billion dollars on an nhl team is going to want a sparkling new building that would be my guess um so you can have the other argument if you want but just i mean I don't think there's a lot of projects where there's public-private partnership. And I'll, and I agree that you should want to have a pretty cool conversation with the guy to see what his plans are. You want to have him there. You want to hear him out. You want to show respect. And then you make a decision on whether or not you agree with his platform or not. But I'm just getting the sense that somehow there's this feeling in some corners like he is... You know, this is this is a bit of a pain. I think the city of Hamilton are very fortunate. When you have uh, the self-proclaimed ter- caretaker of the Hamilton Ticats, who I don't suspect is making any money on owning the Hamilton Ticats. Maybe a bit, but probably not a lot. Um, yeah, it's certainly not his main source of revenue after spending a couple of years on their wealth. <laughs> I would hope not. Uh, but, you know, you've got to have deep pockets to pull that off. And... Hockey teams at that level are expensive. I I'm, think it's safe to say uh, Mr. Landelar is not getting rich by owning the Hamilton Bulldogs. It's a passion for him, and we should should be grateful that we have guys that will provide that kind of product and lose some money so that the people that do want to have it can enjoy it. I'm very familiar with that scenario. 
um, on a far different yes, level. Yes, you are. On a far different level. No, but still. Right? Still. So you, you treat them. You said you told me the other day when we were writing about the Great Meyerina reopening that you'd lost 75 grand over two years. Yeah. That's maybe a different level, but that's $75,000 that you probably could have done something with. You probably could have not had to borrow your neighbor's tractor. Yeah, good point. <laughs> anyway, I just... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer. To me, when you have to find out the answer. When and, you, and, yeah. and hopefully the council make the right decision. Sometimes they take a circuitous route to get to the right decision. I don't even... I, I do care if they make the right decision. Of course I care they make the right decision, but... I just want the, I want there to be a sense that if you are a developer coming into the city, and I know in some corners in the city, there is this real sense that if you have money, you're evil, or if you have a developer, you're a bad guy, or you're greedy, or whatever. Look, we don't have anything going on in the city if you don't have people coming in investing in the city. Whether it's this or something else, we got to make it so that this city is seen as we want you. Come if you've got some money and you want to invest, please. But this is a different scenario. I mean, I. Uh, we have over a billion dollars a year in building permits going on in the city of Hamilton. We have record building going on downtown, Ancaster, Stony Creek. Uh, there are, you know, the Meadowlands East. There's all kinds of up in Waterdown, Councillor Partridge's area. There's all kinds of big development going on. They do like that. They, they do court those people. This is a bit of a different scenario because you have a guy that wants to build uh, an arena and he wants the city to pay for presumably half of it, and he'll match dollar for dollar. I would guess more than half of it. So I, I think the struggle might be, why can't we make First Ontario Place work? It's fine. And then we get a guy like you that says, well, that's great, but you walk into First Ontario Place, and all the escalators are closed. And there's a, like he put in the, uh, the ring to uh, the advertising ring. Um, so I think it's, a, it, it's an unusual situation. I do agree that you do need to be cordial to a guy that's prepared to put up millions of dollars to build a facility. It shouldn't be a hardship to give the guy a fair hearing and some respect. And and whether it's him or anyone else. I'm not normally careful what I say, but I am a little careful on this one right now. Would you like me to sing to you? No, go. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'd like you to take your son to a Leaf game. That'll hopefully be working out. If not, it'll be a Dundas-Real McCoys game. They're almost the same thing. Just slightly different ticket price. Everything's working beautiful. Is it? Yeah. The building's beautiful. Everything works. It's absolutely stunning. Escalators? Uh, if we had them, they'd work. We don't have them. We have a brand new elevator that works like a charm. It's good. Don, thanks for coming in today. Thank you, Scott. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.